You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Should have made my two intros a little bit more different because I get them confused every day. What am I supposed to say and with what tonality and inflection? So the big news, the NFL draft in 2025 is coming to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Packer fans everywhere are overjoyed. I am overjoyed. This is the one of, I mean, this is one of the events I've been wanting to go to anywhere in the country and would love to start doing more regularly along with a bunch of other football related stuff some of the smaller things even like senior bowl i'd love to be able to go there sometime but going to lambeau or green bay wisconsin to uh for the nfl draft just sounds like absolutely heaven and you know that means something coming from me but absolutely massive news i really only have i mean i'm I'm excited to continue to talk about this as we as as mark murphy said it's, it's like a two-year commercial for Wisconsin, for Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I think part of that, even for me, I live in Wisconsin, but I don't know much about Green Bay. In fact, if you were to ask Clayton, who doesn't live close to Wisconsin, he probably knows a lot more about Green Bay than I do. He's experienced the town and done all these things. I haven't. I went to that little, uh, whatchamacallit, place with the rides and stuff. I went there, and I went to Lambeau. That's about it, though. I didn't go to the restaurants in town. In fact, when we went to family night last time, it was like absolute downpour plus it's like you just you know when you leave a sporting event plus we parked it's not even like in the parking lot outside it's like you got to walk several blocks and you got tiny little kids like we're not going to a restaurant and go home i think that's part of the the complication for let's say me or people in milwaukee or madison or whatever as opposed to people that come from out of town because we don't get a hotel for like the weekend we drive up tailgate go to the game Get back to your car and fight traffic to get back home really late at night. But the good thing is, we're going to learn a lot, right? I'm already learning stuff. Like, oh, they're, they're going to host it at that event center. Like, oh, yeah, the event. They have an event center there? I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. But that's, that's going to be the fun of it, is, is kind of looking at some of the events that are going on and kind of learning the layout of the town. I mean, I know they're going to have massive like concerts there. It's going to be absolutely amazing. The celebrities that are going to be there. I don't just mean like people that happen to show up because I couldn't care less. I just mean like the fact that it is sort of a star-studded event coming to Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I don't know, again, I don't know what that could mean, but I know it could mean a lot. And, and honestly, I'll get to my, my kind of two biggish takes in a minute. I think Green Bay has the potential to be better than a lot of other cities. Do you know how wide open Green Bay is? Do you know how much easier it's going to be to shut down some streets in Green Bay than it would be in, like, Chicago? And Chicago had a great event. But listen, 
just because Chicago's a big city doesn't necessarily mean it's a great place to host the draft. And I think it was fine. They found an area. But well, the, the problem is, I think when we think big cities, we think like, oh man, there's so much to do there. Yeah, but not for the draft. You're talking about like people that fly in that want to have fun on the weekend or maybe don't care about the draft and want to go to like nice restaurants. That has nothing to do with the draft. How many people live there has nothing to do with the draft. Hotels only matter for the sake of like, do people have a place to stay that night before they get there? But that ultimately doesn't have anything to do with the impact of the quality of the draft. What makes the draft awesome is exactly what makes Green Bay tailgating so much better than other places. For example, when I, and I've told you this before, when I went to St. Louis to tailgate, you know what I discovered? There's nowhere to tailgate. It's just a cement paradise. There's buildings and there's cement and there's no real parking. There's a, there's a parking structure. And boy, was that fun, drinking on a parking structure and getting dirty looks from old people who are Rams fans, which makes sense why they moved it. When you go to Green Bay, it is a party. And it's a party for miles and miles and miles in every single direction. That's what the draft is. It's an outdoor party. You need open area and open space to do that. Buildings stacked on top of buildings does not make for a good draft experience. In fact, I think it would be somewhat of a complication for some cities. I mean, you're not going to put these in the heart of downtown. And if you need an event center and a bunch of open space, it's going to be hard to find that. In Green Bay, Wisconsin, it is not. Because it's all open space. I mean, there's houses there and stuff, but who cares? People are going to be out in their front yards with their grills and their kegs, and it's going to be a blast. Despite the condescending media members who want to be wined and dined and go to these... uh fancy upscale events. That's not what the draft is. It's not a fancy upscale event. It's a big outdoor tailgating blue collar party. And if you've ever been there, I mean, it, it's, it's, I don't think it's going to be all that much different than what you find when you go to a Packer game. What are there, 100,000 people compared to what there was, what was it? And people are saying in Kansas City, there was like 300,000. So like three times that many people. I can tell you, having been there the few times I've been there, there's a lot of open space. I mean, it gets real crowded in the actual parking lot. But outside of that, like we, we posted up in a, I don't know, like a pick and save. I don't know if it was pick and save. It doesn't matter. A, a, a parking lot. And there were like our group and five other groups. There's a lot of open space everywhere. But it's cool because you walk all up and down different areas and there's food over here and there's music over there. And that's what Green Bay, Wisconsin does. Everybody knows it's one of the best tailgating places in the entire country, if not the best. And we're saying that they don't know how to host a, a big outdoor party. Are you serious? Oh, by the way, it shouldn't even be 300,000 because apparently everybody's protesting. I'll never go there. It's amazing. They're, they're trying to hide their prejudice of small town, middle America, Wisconsin by saying they don't have the infrastructure, therefore I won't go. No, they're going to have hotels for you, stupid. It's amazing because I know these media guys don't make that much money. They act like they're multimillionaires. They act like they're freaking Aaron Rodgers, which Aaron Rodgers may do in Wisconsin for a long time, but apparently uh, Benjamin Albright can't do it. Big multi-billionaire Benjamin Albright, who wouldn't dare be seen anywhere less than a at least four-star restaurant and a five, uh, a, a gold star, freaking platinum star, whatever, hotel is, is the only thing that is allowed for this elitist media class who just couldn't wait to condescend to how absurd it is to think that a, an event like the NFL draft could be hosted in a place like Green Bay, Wisconsin. Why? It's a bunch of people getting ripped outside celebrating football. 
It, it's almost like the people that cover the NFL don't realize because they're in this little insular bubble of like hyper fancy people that this at its core is a blue collar sport with blue collar fans. This isn't croquet. This isn't freaking rowing from, uh, you know, the, the Harvard rowing class. It's football. It's groups of people who want to get together and celebrate their team, wear their jerseys, meet a bunch of people, get some good beer and some good food. You don't think Green Bay, Wisconsin can figure that out? You don't think they can pop up a stage somewhere and put a, put a performer on it? I'm sorry you can't do your telecast from the Bellagio, princess. You might have to strap on some, take off your, uh, your dress shoes, put on some tennis shoes, and go walk up and down the street and interact with actual middle American blue-collar human beings. I'm very sorry to have to subject you to that. What did these people even do for the draft anyways? What did they do when it was in, what, Tennessee? Which I think was one of the most successful ones. What did you guys do there? And why was it successful, by the way? Good food, good beer. It was just people walking up and down the streets having an absolute party. In the town, in the city. Every time you saw a shot of Tennessee and, and how successful it was, where were they? They were out somewhere in the middle of the street. It was just a big party, and that's why everybody loved it. It wasn't people up in some fancy sky tower. So... I'm not worried about it. I understand the national media is upset because the draft is a big fun uh, event for them. And by fun, I don't mean actually getting on the ground and having fun with human beings. I mean getting together with their, their media friends and trying to rub shoulders with the, the bigwigs in the NFL at fancy hotels and, and fancy restaurants and whatnot. Cigar lounges or whatever the heck these idiots are doing. But for actual NFL fans, I think this is going to be a fantastic event. Now, to get to my larger points, I guess, although that ended up being a pretty large point. There is sort of this duality, in my opinion, of Mark Murphy getting the draft in Green Bay. First of all, is there enough infrastructure is not a question that needs to even be asked. Mark Murphy mentioned that they've been working on this bid since 2016. Do you think, for one second, that infrastructure was not included in that. In fact, let me ask you this a step further. Do you think maybe the reason it's taken as long as it has is because Green Bay hasn't had the infrastructure? And do you think maybe the reason that Mark Murphy has been working on infrastructure for so long is so that they can get an event like this and they finally reached capacity and are now able to host an event? Considering he's told us that's basically the entire point of why they're buying up the whole town and turning it into hotels. I mean, that's not in totality but they're working on that that's the point open space for and, and it is funny because largely when you look at the title town district it's mostly not hotels it's mostly open space it's kind of something more fit for oh i don't know the draft probably because he had to pick a direction do we go hotels for a super bowl do we go open space for a draft which did they choose knowing full well that a Super Bowl is probably either out of the question or very far from ever being a question, he set it up for the draft. We don't need to worry about it. There are these things called feasibility studies. You know who's done it? The city of Green Bay, the NFL, the Green Bay Packers. Feasibility studies are what they sound like. Is it feasible to have this many people in this area? You know who hasn't done feasibility studies? You? Me? Benjamin Albright? Rob Domofsky? All this nonsense. Oh, I've been there. Okay. I mean, it's, you, you know how embarrassing it must be? Could you imagine if you were Mark Murphy or anybody in the NFL's committee or all these people who have been working on this for, what is it now? 
Seven years, you've been putting hard labor into this. You have been dedicated to under, you know the numbers inside and out and what what is required and what isn't and what the laws are and what the regulations are. You know every single thing about it. And five seconds after the news comes out, you got these morons who don't know a single thing about Green Bay, Wisconsin, what is required, what how much infrastructure there is, whether that be hotels or otherwise. You don't know anything about the requirements or the reality or the data. And you're coming out with these hot takes about Green Bay isn't uh feasible it's not feasible for the draft to be held in green bay do you know how, how annoying that must be much like lawyers having to listen to people talk about the law on facebook just in a, on a moment's notice when something happens well technically bro i do this for a freaking living doctors listening to people explain about a disease how much it must just hurt your brain can you imagine the city planners looking on twitter at people who have no freaking idea and making the claim that because I've been there, like, I've been there like eight times, bro. Wow, that's amazing. There are people that have lived there their entire life, and guess what? They don't know the first freaking thing about the requirements. Nothing. You don't believe me? Go on Twitter right now and ask uh, Matt Ramage about it. Be like, hey, man, I'm just curious. Can you give me the numbers on that, 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 that? He doesn't know. Having been there a dozen times doesn't mean anything. Living there doesn't mean anything. This, there's an actual science to this. And all these dummies that are, that are spouting off have no idea the amount of effort and work that has gone into this. To making sure they meet the regulations. And they have. You know how I know? Because we got the draft! It's amazing how people want to start arguments that they already lost as soon as they open their mouth. You choose that... We already have the answer of whether they have the infrastructure, you idiot. We have the, we had the, if you wanted to argue that two days ago before the, the Packers were going to get the draft and say, I, I, the, I don't think the Packers have the infrastructure yet. They're working on it. I don't know if they'll ever get it. But after we get it to come out and say, I, I, I know now that we don't have, we now know that they do. The only reason you would even argue that is if you think due diligence wasn't done on the part of Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers, the city of Green Bay, the state of Wisconsin, and the NFL, who has to determine what city it goes to. I guess infrastructure never popped into their head. By the way, it's not just infrastructure. This is one of the biggest events that the NFL holds. It is a massive, massive, massive event. It's not just, do you have enough people? And if the answer is yes, then okay, we're good. You have to prove to me that you can make this an awesome event. And yes, they want to move it from city to city. But do you know how many cities Green Bay got put in front of? Do you think if, if what these uh, media members and fans of other teams and even some fans of the Green Bay Packers, do you think if they were right that the NFL determined that not only do they not have enough space, but there's no way to make it an enjoyable event that they would even bother to do it? You don't think that's part of the bidding process, looking at the, the different things that they would be able to do, the events that they could put on there? By the way, what just occurred to me, you think about some of the outdoor events that go on, you know, I mean, obviously Wisconsin is not known as the this major hub of, um, you know, amazing restaurants and hotels and, and the Broadway shows and all that stuff, um, even though they do have great restaurants, but not at the, the, the amount that some of the bigger cities have. But you think about some of the outdoor, like, again, events like tailgating where is the best tailgating experience in wisconsin do you know where the largest music festival outdoor music festival is in the world in milwaukee wisconsin 
Summerfest is nothing more than walking around, eating food, drinking massive amounts of beer, and then there are stages set up. People come from all over to go to Summerfest. Wisconsin dominates this sort of venue. You want to go see a Broadway show? Go to New York. You want to see movie stars or something for some reason? Go to Hollywood. You want to hit up casinos? Go to Vegas. You want beautiful scenery? Go find somewhere on a beach, you know? You want a fun outdoor event? Wisconsin is a really good option. By the way, Nashville and Kansas City, Missouri, also very good options for very similar reasons. Two places known for food, particularly barbecue. See, places like New York are known for food too, but it's not going to be as good of an event in New York. First of all, again, they don't have the open outdoor space. That that would be, could you imagine that? Trying to have like a Summerfest event somewhere in like Manhattan? You can just see the New Yorkers looking down their nose at you. <laughs> or California, they're, they're technically known for food, but I'm sorry. I don't think if you took a poll of most football fans that they'd be thinking like fish tacos would be at the top of their list. Burgers, brats, beer, there you go. The only other alternative to that that might be slightly better, although it's probably not, would be barbecue. Anyways, Summerfest thing just popped into my head and I figured I'd mention that. But anyways, there's kind of a a two-parter on it. On on one side, I don't actually think it's that hard of a sell for Green Bay. On the other side, I do think it's a hard sell based on the preconceptions. In other words, I think if you go to the NFL and say, hey, it's uh, Mark Murphy with the Green Bay Packers... You know, not not an actual powerful multi-billionaire owner, just that that CEO guy from that small town. Hey, do you think we could host that uh, really massive event that makes you guys a bajillion dollars? I think the first reaction was a chuckle and a phone being hung up. And so while I do think Green Bay is going to put on an amazing event, and I do think that that was eventually conveyed to the NFL in New York, the fact that Mark Murphy took the Green Bay Packers, from a team that was never going to be able to host the draft, to where we are now, to leapfrog so many cities that are really big cities. I mean, let's go through the list. So it was New York every single year. Chicago had it twice. Then it was Philly, Arlington, Texas for the Dallas Cowboys, Nashville. Then we had COVID. Then it was Cleveland. Then it was Paradise, Nevada. It was Las Vegas. Kansas City, Missouri. And next year is Detroit. Where's Miami? Where's Las Vegas? I'm sorry, Los Angeles. How about Denver, Benjamin Albright? Where's Denver? I'm sure they have the infrastructure. Pittsburgh. I mean, we can go down the list because pretty much... Where's Atlanta? New Orleans. Are you kidding me? New Orleans would probably be a freaking blast, by the way. Because that's, again, they know how to do it. It's outdoors. It's having a good time. I mean, they they got Mardi Gras every year. They, They know how to do it, right? They've done it. They do it every year. They know how to host an event like that. Although there may be some concerns about people understanding, like, please keep your clothes on at this event. This is not that event. Maybe that's kind of the biggest holdup. But but again, the fact that not only was Green Bay not even able to do it at first, but he was able to do the physical labor. Like, we're going to buy up this whole area and transform it, do all these things, physically transforming the city to our benefit. To, I mean, it's to the community's been and everything else, but so that we will be in compliance. Do you think anybody's even come close to the amount of work that Green Bay and Mark Murphy has done in Green Bay to become compliant and to put yourself at the front of the list for the NFL draft like Mark Murphy has? I don't think anybody has even come anywhere near 
the amount of work that has been put in. And so Mark Murphy is, it's an unbelievable thing. You know, we, we chuckle about his sledding hill and the title town district and all that stuff. Like, oh, that's all. He has done more work than pretty much any NFL owner has in terms of benefiting not just their own team, but the entire community around it. I'm sorry, but Jerry Jones doesn't give a crap about helping Texas or Arlington. Maybe he does a little bit. I don't know. He owns the team. He wants the team to play well. And so he has his hands dabbling, dabbling. What is the word? I don't know. His his hands are down in there messing around with what players we get and what coaches we get. Because it's all just about just go, you know, Mark Murphy's like, you know what? You guys go figure that out. I've got some other things to do. And the development of the stadium, the surrounding area, and the community at large has been his focus. And he's done an unbelievable job. And he has put Green Bay, Wisconsin at the front of the line to host one of the biggest NFL events. Outside of the, the, the Super Bowl, I can't really think of a bigger event than the NFL draft. And, and I, I mean, the Super Bowl may not even be quite as big. I mean, obviously, the, the people watching it is, is bigger for the Super Bowl, but I don't think you're going to have quite as many people, hundreds of thousands walking around outside of the Super Bowl. It's mostly people inside the building, I would assume. I don't know. But the point is, Mark Murphy deserves a massive amount of credit for what he's done and what he was able to do um, for the team. And I think it is to our advantage to have him, rather than being an owner who gets to kick back and reap the rewards and spend all the money on all kinds of illicit activities, his sole goal is exactly what he's been doing. And that's all he does. Every waking moment is how can I better the, the franchise? Not worrying about the players as much. We have guys for that. Upgrade the facilities, the surrounding area, Things of that nature. So it really has been a fantastic year. Um, I think even the most ardent anti-Green Bay front office people would have to admit this has been a heck of a year for the front office. From the um, Aaron Rodgers compensation to the NFL draft itself to now landing this when I really would not have expected it to happen. Again, even after having a, a, a day or so to think about it and think, you know, I think it actually makes a lot of sense. I still think it's a tough sell, especially considering when you put in your bid, you probably didn't have the infrastructure and were in the process of, of getting it. But that's, again, it's just astounding to me to get feedback from the NFL and say, here's what is required and here's what you have, and then to go out and physically alter the environment around you to buy up land around you so that you have more area. So listen, it's just, it's just another reason to be excited to be a Packer fan. And I, and I guess what I would say is to those people who are upset about certain things that and, and, and the way that they are and the people that are in charge that you don't like, take a minute to step back, look at this year, and maybe have some new hope, okay? Forget the past. People make mistakes. People cause, you know, they, they do bad things, make bad decisions. Maybe Jordan Love was a terrible pick, and A.J. Dillon was a terrible, and the entire 2020, all that stuff in the past was terrible. And maybe Mark Murphy, I don't, I don't know. How could you even hate him? What do you dislike about Mark Murphy? You don't even know what he does. It doesn't even make sense to me. But anyways, maybe it's time to reassess and say maybe they got a little bit better. Right? Players can get better over time. You think maybe a first-time GM struggles out of the gate and can't get better? What I'm saying is, and I'm not saying this, this is my opinion. I'm just saying if that is your opinion, maybe rather than holding a three-, four-year-old grudge Allow them the opportunity to prove that they have gotten better at their jobs. It'll be better for you anyways. To, to hate people for what they did years and years ago is not healthy. This has been a great offseason. It really has. If you don't like it, 
You're welcome to root for somebody else. But what I'm explaining to you is there are reasons to be happy with what we have and to be optimistic with what we have and, and plenty of opportunities to enjoy your team just like every other team does. Let yourself be happy. <laughs> or don't. I don't freaking care what you do with your life. I mean, you're going to die at 40 of high blood pressure, but you know. Anyways, um, why don't we take a break right here? And on the other side, we're going to talk about OTAs. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Well, usually I will dedicate an entire episode to OTAs, so um, probably won't... Well, let's not say that. Let's just go through it. So the way that I started doing this, I think last year, because it just kind of made more sense, um, although I am taking separate notes, is um, to just kind of go in order. It's kind of a toss-up. I've done it differently in the past where I take all the notes down and then uh, try to go, for example, position by position or player by player, but then sometimes not going chronologically kind of makes things a little clunky. So because it's, you know, slightly less clunky and also a little bit less work, we're just going to go in order. And 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 with that being said, thank you to all the uh, people that are at the event there, all the media members that were allowed in who uh, are given regular updates so that we can do shows like this. So first of all, Eric Stokes and uh, Rashawn Gary, as expected, were not participating. However, was relatively good news, at least from my standpoint, because it, it sounded like things might have been pretty serious, but Eric Stokes doesn't have so much as a knee brace, uh, a wrap, nothing. He's jumping around, running around. Uh, he looks fine. 
Oh, that's not me predicting he'll be back week one or anything like that. I'm just saying um, there there isn't anything significant that's that's going on, at least from what I can see. We'll see how long before they actually allow him back onto the field. Uh, by the way, they did add wide receiver Judicus Bonds and released tight end Nick Gugamos. So if things slow down, we can take a look at Judicus Bonds, but we haven't even looked at the undrafted free agents so far. We'll get there when we get there. Um, via Andy Herman, we got some early lineup stuff. There is an official lineup a little bit later when they actually go through team drills. That's a little bit different, so we won't get uh, massively hung up on it. Also, big thing to note is some of the guys didn't show up and or are injured or whatever the case may be. Um, so that's why you're seeing some of the lineup that you're seeing. But offensive line, Yash Nyman, then Royce, then uh, Myers, then John Runyon, then Zach Tom. None of this really is all that surprising. If you assume that David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins are not participating in this, I would take that to mean Yash is above Zach Tom. It doesn't have to mean that, but unless somebody is specifically a left or right tackle or whatever the case may be, I think generally you just take your right tackle, move them over to left tackle, and then take your number three tackle and put them in the right tackle spot. So I do think starting off we're looking at Yash as a starting with Tom as the backup, with hopes that obviously Zach Tom wins a job somewhere along the line there. Uh, then we've got cornerbacks for uh, Ballantyne, uh, Thomas, and Nixon. That also seems uh, relatively straightforward. Ballantyne, I think, would be re- uh, you know replacing Razul. Um, and then Stokes would be in replacement of Jair, but neither of those two guys are there, and I think Keandre Thomas would be next in line after that. So nothing earth-shattering on that front. Safeties are Rudy Ford and Darnell Savage. That is my expectation of our starting safeties. I think that's who they're going to be. I think that's how that stays. Uh, He wrote, wide receivers, Jaden Reed getting reps with the ones in the slot. He put ones in quotes. My interpretation of that would obviously be Watson, Dobbs, and then uh, Jaden Reed in the slot. That is a relatively big thing, although not necessarily. They do that somewhat often. So generally, seniority would be first, which would mean you would see someone like Samori Ture, but Again, despite the hype that you get from some fans about Samori Ture, I think there's a general understanding that um, Jaden Reed is going to essentially fall from the sky ahead of Samori Ture. Seniority be damned. Doesn't have to stay that way if Jaden Reed really struggles, but I think it's essentially his job to lose. That is the starting three, and then we will uh, just see, you know, again, if, if anybody happens to lose those jobs. Uh, Tree Carpenter's taking some reps with the twos at linebacker. Clark and Wyatt working together on the inside at defensive tackle. Lucas Van Ness is working off the edge with the twos. So that one is, I guess, a little bit surprising. Not anything to be concerned about, obviously, because they haven't even seen him. But, I mean, again, for the exact same reason that you would have expected, um, I would have thought, because I don't, I don't, it was Preston. I know Rashawn's obviously not out there. I don't know if Preston was participating. I've seen the official list, but let's just assume Preston is out there. It would be Preston, and then assuming it would be Kingsley after that, and then Lucas Van Ness along with probably Jonathan Garvin, maybe. So if we're going to read too much into that, essentially what it means is Kingsley's on another level in comparison to Samori Ture. These are not two late-round guys who showed something and could actually be something. I think it's, you know, Samori Ture is a placeholder, Kingsley and Igbare is a legitimate rotational, you know, sort of number two, not number two, but uh, second string guy would be my thought on that. So they're giving him that seniority. Uh, Musgrave was first tight end with the ones. 
that one really shocked me, but I think that changes in the next period. But still, uh, a lot of respect being given to put him out there ahead of Josiah DeGuara, and, and well, I guess that would be it. Uh, Colby Wooden is getting work rotating with the ones at the defensive line spot right away. So I think it was JJ that mentioned he's up to like 285 at this point from 275. So it sounds like he is beefing up and probably will be on the inside, which is a good thing because as I looked at it, as we kind of went through the roster and whatnot, it became apparent that defensive tackle is kind of the biggest uh, question mark. So if you can get Brooks and Wooden to be um, defensive tackles, that would obviously be ideal. And the fact that they're thrusting them in there with the ones kind of tells me that they also see that urgency of we need somebody to be a backup. We, we don't have anybody. We have Ford, and Ford is a guy that did nothing, showed nothing, was a seventh-round pick, and is strictly a nose tackle. Like We, we don't have anybody. That's <laughs> We have nothing at defensive tackle, which is funny because as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know what we're going to do next year in the draft, right? We're going defensive line again, and everyone's going to freak out, but where do we have the biggest need? That's, that's up there. Um, what else? Uh, Tavarius Moore getting reps with the ones also at uh, safety or corner? Safety. So working him out a little bit. Jaden Reed gets the first punt return rep. Remember, I, I actually think there's a good chance, depending on how, if they actually want to use Reed, if he's a major part of the offense, maybe they don't and just have Keyshawn handle the whole deal, but he's kind of a big part of the cornerback group. I think Jaden Reed as a punt returner and Keyshawn as a kick returner makes a lot of sense. But it says he was joined by Keyshawn Nixon and Romeo Dobbs as sort of the number two and number three. But they're giving Jaden Reed first crack because I think that is the way that they'd like it to be. Uh, Keyshawn on kick and and, uh, Jaden on punt. Uh, A couple people posting some stuff about Mr. Judicus Bonds. Six foot three, 206, 486 RAS. So certainly not uh, anybody's from Green Bay's favorite or anybody anywhere's favorite. But he played for Hampton, whatever that is. Uh, Ennis Gaines and Rudy Ford were working as jammers on the punt return team. First reports of guys uh, via Matt Schneidman. He said, Packers veterans who I do not spot at the first open practice. Dallin Levitt, Jair Alexander, Razul Douglas, Jonathan Garvin, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Preston Smith, and then Eric Stokes and Rashawn Gary are here but not going through drills. Um, Somebody, was it Matt Schneidman? Yeah, he says, Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Smith, and Levitt have been present for other parts of voluntary off-season programs. So either they're just being given the, I mean, I would assume with things being voluntary, you could kind of pick and choose. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic that this isn't like injury related, but it's possible that they're just sort of happy to have guys back and then they're going to allow them to not participate in the actual physical side of things as opposed to meetings and everything else. I don't really know, but for whatever reason... Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Preston Smith, Dallin Levitt are there, but did not were not on the field at the time. And no, uh, not that I saw further news. Maybe there is a little bit later on. I didn't get to the end of it before I started recording. There's also a lot of videos on Twitter if you uh, haven't seen them yet. It's just good to see, man. I, I Not because it's giving us some secret insight. It's just awesome to see Jordan Love QB1 throwing to... Uh, Lucas Musgrave, you know what I mean? Like, it's just such a holy cow, man. Just gives it a, a, a real sense of reality. Uh, Herman also mentioned Gene DeLance and Jake Hansen working off to the side with the training team. And then it says, looks like Lou Nichols and Jeff Cotton stayed inside. Grant DeBose also off to the side, not working out. Again, I wouldn't necessarily panic about any of this. No reason to believe that they all have injuries at all, much less serious injuries. The first quote-unquote report of a... Uh, throw and catch or anything. 
Jordan Love hits Tay Wicks with a deep ball. Beauty. By the way, Dontavian Wicks apparently likes to be called Tay. So something we should all be used to at this point. Uh, Sean Ryan, the third round pick last season, isn't just getting a smattering of center reps, more of a test drive. He's working in there quite a bit in individual drills. So again, they're going to be trying a lot of different people at a lot of different positions. See what works, what fits, what sticks. Even if it's not necessarily looking for a new starter, it could potentially be we need a another guy that can fill in as a backup center. Um, if you know if that ends up being the thing, so they're going to try Sean Ryan there, see how he does. And obviously, again at this stage, it's going to be hard to tell whether or not they're doing the job well. But it's good to kind of get those uh, insights. Zach Tom working uh, right guard a little bit, a little bit of. Uh, Jets news, and yes, I'm going to be talking about it. I'm so sorry if that hurts your feelings. But uh, Aaron Rodgers and Alan Lazard were actually injured in uh, practice today. Nothing super significant. I think Lazard actually went back and practiced. Rodgers called it a day, but I think that's pretty standard. Any minor tweak in, in with Aaron Rodgers, and you're going to say, that's it. You are absolutely not doing that anymore. But uh, one of the comments from Rodgers at the podium today He says, uh, Aaron Rodgers said he really enjoys the freedom of expression that Robert Sala allows around the Jets, that he allows guys to be themselves. I know not everything has to be a backhanded comment to the Packers, but everything's going to feel that way. The hell is that supposed to mean? Anyways, starting offensive line in the 11-on-11 drills with no Bakhtiari or Jenkins here. Nyman, Newman, Myers, Runyon, and Tom again. The official starters, love at quarterback, Dylan and Jones at running back, Watson and Dobbs at wide receiver, Josiah DeGuara, so he took over as the tight end one, the offensive line we just laid out, and then the defensive front is Kingsley and Igbare, which again, Preston wasn't out there, so that's what makes it even crazier. The starting edge rushers are Enigbare and, and Hollins, and then interior is Clark and Slayton, then you have uh, Devondre Campbell and McDuffie at linebacker. Nixon, Thomas, and Ballantine at corner, and Savage and Ford at safety. Right out of the gate, the defense sort of won. It says, first pass of the day, love to Watson, not on the same page. Second run, blown up by Enigbari and Clark. Second pass, Nixon blitzes and bats down the love bootleg. Tweet that I really liked, it says, Kenny Clark just blew up a run play by A.J. Dillon in the backfield. Rashawn Gary, very present, even as he recovers from ACL, was the loudest voice celebrating from the, right, from the uh, sideline. Love to hear that. Also a false start by John Runyon. Get it all out of your system, man. That's that's what this really is. Get it out of your system. Uh, Danny Etling actually took the number two starting reps, uh, number two reps, I guess, and then Sean Clifford was third. A couple more Aaron Rodgers updates. Hilariously, he said the only thing he knew about Jersey was from Jersey Shore and that he actually went to one of Pauly D's parties in Las Vegas. I'm assuming Pauly D is one of the D-bags from the Jersey Shore. In fact, I'm assuming that's what D stands for. But yeah, that's uh, that's funny. Jordan Love's first completion of 11-on-11 comes on a crosser to rookie tight end Luke Musgrave for a first down with Darnell Savage trailing. Again, I'm going to keep putting the caveat in there that I understand it doesn't mean much, but man, that is pretty exciting that the first connection goes to the tight end Luke Musgrave, right? I mean, that's what they're here for because it's supposed to be a thing that works. And so right out of the gate, we get our really fast tight end streaking across the middle. Savage can't keep up. Yes, I understand I know who Savage is. Calm down. I'm just saying it makes me happy. You know, it's like you buy your kid a toy and they play with it, not just the freaking box that it came in. It's like, all right, success. Uh, Further elaboration from Ryan Wood. He says, Musgrave is a huge target, easily shielded Darnell Savage for the catch on a crosser. Cassidy Hill says, Keyshawn Nixon is everywhere. Um, 
Quay Walker about 40 yards behind the defense alone during team drills and getting in position when the ball is snapped and going through the motions by himself. Pretty cool. I don't know what he's doing. And yes, there's a lot of jokes about him being 40 yards off and that being how the defense runs and all that. But um, I don't know if he's injured or what the situation is. I don't know. Love's first bomb to Christian Watson down the middle, a little wobbly and underthrown, falls incomplete with three defenders in the vicinity. Well, I guess we should just trade him. Not a freaking bum. That's a joke. Billy Huber, Carpenter at linebacker, comes up and stops Kraft for a short gain on a boot. Next play, new running back Emmanuel Wilson with a sharp cut to green grass. Herman says Lucas Van Ness practices both standing up and with his hand in the ground in the first team drills, which is great to see. that they're, they're not... They're taking the training wheels off, right? You know, I, I want you here, I want you there, whatever. They're lining them up all over the place. And, and again, you got to know what the defensive call is, right? I'm assuming they're not lining up each individual person before each play. You get the defensive call, you get out there, you line up. So they're taking the training wheels off, and he's got to play stand up outside, hand in the dirt. Uh, A.J. Dillon looks spry with a little wiggle in the backfield. Matt Orzek is the first long snapper up. Looks like he has the edge over Broughton Hatcher in the most anticipated battle of the offseason. And then Herman says it looks like Quay wasn't cleared for team drills is what it sounds like is happening there. Ryan Wood says Packers open red zone period with 12 personnel. Luke Musgrave flexed right and trips with Josiah DeGuara in line on the left. Couple of plays here. Campbell baited Love into the first red zone drill but dropped the pick. Next pass was incomplete. Looks like Dobbs slipped a little bit. May have been tugged by Thomas. Love throws wide of Ture. Next play looks like a sack of Love. Pocket collapsed but Hamilton beat Yash. Love's first completion in red zone comes after he buys time and escapes the pocket to his right short touchdown pass to Jaden Reed. Next play after that touchdown pass says next play very low snap to Love, finds a way to handle it, throws a quick pass outside to Watson, looks like he got in. Dave Schroeder says it took until Jordan Love's fifth red zone snap to find a completion, stepping up and through to the right and firing a dart to Jaden Reed. Without Bakhtiari and Jenkins in attendance, Packers defense has gotten plenty of pressure in team drills. Uh, Quay is limping pretty noticeably to the side. Not sure if he hurt something during practice. He didn't do any team drills. Love to Watson on a post for a touchdown in red zone. Love's best play of the day in team drills. Lucas Van Ness would have had a sack in twos just now, all up in Etling's business. Lucas Van Ness putting on a show with the twos today. Love to Dobbs touchdown. Nice throw from 10. Was a slow start, but Love starting to settle in. TJ Slayton with one of the most emphatic swats of a pass at the line I've seen in some time. Love responds with another bullet to Ture for a touchdown. And that ended practice. Then you get the coaches coming out and talking. Lafleur on Love, he's being evaluated on everything from process at the line to accuracy. Also, we've got to see what everyone else can do around him as well. Matt Lafleur says he's implementing more unscripted periods in these practices than in the past. He wants to see what the young guys know and how they handle what they don't. Now, what does that mean? See, th this is the other thing to kind of keep in mind, because you see some of this stuff and it kind of gets to be like, oh, shoot, that really stinks, as though we expect this to be like a game. The coaches are deliberately trying to make them mess up. They want them to screw up. They're trying to make them fail. This is the, the, you, you also have guys taking more risks than you would uh, uh, generally expect. It's why Rodgers regularly threw picks in, in OTAs and training camp when he really never does that during the regular season. So Matt LaFleur is trying to throw way too much at these guys just to see what they know and to see how they respond to adversity. Uh, Matt LaFleur on Jordan Love's first uh, day, two days of OTA practice. He says, I think there's a lot of good things a and certainly a lot of things that need to be cleaned up. Pretty boilerplate answer. Um, some of the locker room availability stuff. Uh, cornerback Eric Stokes says he tore his meniscus last season, which wouldn't be too bad, except 
He also had a Liz Frank injury. Both required surgery uh, ending his season. They said, what's different now than then? He said, I can walk. He needed a wheelchair after surgery. Stokes says he hates watching the film he put on the field before his injury last season. He says his success as a rookie was a byproduct of just being himself, having fun. Last season, he says, was decidedly not fun. It's a really, really interesting comment because it's not, like we've talked about a thousand times, it's not just a Stokes thing. Jair wasn't having fun. Nobody was having fun and nobody looked good out on the field. What the heck does that mean? I guess Stokes didn't really realize how bad it was going to be. Said he thought he'd be back in two to three weeks. Didn't realize the extent of it. Uh, currently still does not have a timeline for his return. Uh, one of the biggest jokes of the day, the, the rule change or proposed rule change or whatever nonsense about the fair catch thing. The, the, the bottom line is none of us need to worry about or even know about it because Keyshawn Nixon has made us all aware that the fair catch is irrelevant because he doesn't intend to do it. The exact quote, I ain't never fair caught anything. <laughs> also got this gem from Aaron Jones. So you probably agree with Keyshawn that you don't buy into any rebuild talk when it comes to the Packers. <laughs> nah, not at all. We got everything we need here. Uh, if you think we're in a rebuilding, you got the wrong team, the wrong place. Uh, you know, so we're here to play ball. We we got everything we need. Like I said, uh, our defense is going to be ready to ball. We're going to be ready to ball. Special team is going to be ready to ball. So uh, we know it's going to take all 11. We're going to have to depend on each other in all phases. But uh, we're just we're we're hungry. You know, we're, we're ready to prove a lot of people wrong. We know what people are saying. So, uh, but everybody has an opinion, and most of them stink. So <laughs> I don't think I need to elaborate on that. My position is pretty well established on that, but. Like you said, they have everything they need, so I don't know what the heck you're talking about, rebuild. Darnell Savage uh, says um, he had a long offseason to reflect on last year, has a bad taste in his mouth for a long time about what happened. He says, quote, I'm excited, I'm ready to go, like, right now. I'm anxious, I'm ready to get out. That does seem to be, a, a again, a similar sentiment with the team is, is something was wrong last year, you know? And you could say Joe Barry, but I, I don't know why that would he would have come back or, or why there would be any optimism about things being different this year, you know? Plus, and when you look at Stokes saying, I had fun two years ago, but not last year, well, we're still talking about Joe Barry. So what the heck, <laughs> what happened last year? But anyways, that's about it. Um, look, do I wish that they had said that first day of OTAs, Jordan Love came out and it was perfect. There were no incompletions. Um, you know, that he... He didn't throw a wobbly, underthrown pass to Watson on the first, you know, deep pass. And that he missed Samore Turi when he was wide open for a touchdown. Yeah. Is there, is there a slight sense of panic, despite the fact that I know how stupid it is, in thinking that, oh man, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe this is what we're going to see in the regular season too. Maybe, oh, uh, 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 uh. Yeah, I wish it was perfect. But the point is, this stuff is important. And it's important for a reason. It's important for the reason that Matt LaFleur said, we have to go back and make corrections. It's also important just to get on the same page. You know, Jordan Love has been working against air for a really, really long time. And it's good, the work that he's doing. It's awesome. But you watch those drills that he does, there's nobody. It's him. It's his coach telling him exactly, you know, how to run. Fake pressure. You know, you got, you're going to have pressure from your right. You're going to So he knows it going up to it. So he's going to, you know, get into his drop and then roll around to his left and then throw while rolling to his left, and he knows the route of the one receiver. It's going to take a little bit of time to get used to, you know, much bigger plays, not just, hey, there's one guy running run one route. We've got a whole team, get to the line, call the play, 
read the actual defense that's out there, and then run the play as pressure starts bearing down on you. With a coach that, again, is trying to trip everybody up, including you. You got to get a feel for this stuff. But it's all good, man. It's day one. Day one. Well, day two, technically, but day one-ish, two-ish in the books. I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good one, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.